Welcome to the HRS Podcast, the show where we talk to experts about the things that can go wrong in the workplace and how to avoid them. This podcast is presented by ActDesk, the software that helps employers prevent harassment and spot talent inside their organizations. After the show, learn more at ActDesk.com. That's E-K-D-E-S-K.com. But for now, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. Our topic today is competing heirs to the throne. It's not quite the Game of Thrones, but sometimes there are similarities between a corporate succession and the intrigues of the HBO show. Planning for and executing an executive succession involves enough kinds of risk to fill dozens of episodes of this podcast. But today we're talking about how to manage the human side of a succession search. In a search that involves internal and external candidates competing with each other, disappointment is often unavoidable. Only one person can get the job, after all, and for the unsuccessful applicant, it can be a hard blow that can in turn ripple into the workplace. To discuss this issue, our guest today is Chris Buehling. Chris is the president of Fidelo Inc., an HR consulting and software firm focused on human performance. Chris, before we get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, I'd love to, Andrew. Thank you so much. Um, I have been the president of Fidelo, um, Fidelo Inc., for the past 30-some years now. Uh, We started back in 87, and it is an organization that has worked around human capital management. And through those years, we've been working in the areas of succession planning, as well as career development and performance management and selection and recruitment. So covering the whole gambit of the activity around moving people in and out of an organization and their full life cycle. So that gives a little bit of bearing on to where I've been over the over the years. We've done different projects with different organizations. Uh, core belief of our team is that one size doesn't fit all. So we don't come in with a silver bullet because there isn't a silver bullet. We come in, we start talking to the organization, look at the culture, look at the opportunities that they have before them, and kind of create and help them create solutions that are beneficial to them, specific to their culture, their readiness, and the work group that they have in front of them and the tasks they, they have and are required to complete. So with all of that, I have a lot of different experience. Um, we've been able to see things from, you know, highly successful and uh, standard to, wow, that's an interesting approach and it's turning out to be successful for that world too. All right. Well, great. So our topic today is HR risk and competing heirs to the throne. Uh, and as I mentioned in the, the intro, it's not quite Game of Thrones, but still very important. In your experience with, with succession scenarios, could you tell us a little bit about the common scenarios you've seen on this topic, or maybe could you set the stage for us a little bit? Yeah, and fortunately, not like Game of Thrones, there are, usually are not swords involved, so it's <laughs> much better, better place. So what we've seen over the years with the succession, and succession is not always to the uh, to the very top of the ladder, but sometimes I'm below it uh, because that top one usually comes now and then, and but there's still a lot of talent that gets moved around underneath there, and it still all applies as you look at the jockeying and the positioning and so forth along the line. But we've seen a couple different approaches to it. Um, really, it's they're kind of polar opposites. One is include the people, let them know that they're part of the succession plan, keep them involved, keep them going, you know, make it more of a sport. I guess maybe that's not the right way to phrase it, but it becomes that way at some point in time. Or the second aspect or the second approach that we've seen is to kind of work it in the background and to keep it 
low key. Maybe not identify the players as as key successors, but to keep keep the process moving, provide opportunities for growth and development, and to monitor the outcome. And so we've seen both sides succeed, and we've seen you know both sides have their challenges over the years as well too. So it sounds like the two typical scenarios you've seen are maybe somebody or several people are being groomed over time for an opening that's sort of known to be down coming down the pike. And then maybe the other approach is we have a search going on and, and sort of here's the process and, and we, we welcome applications internally. Yeah, uh, definitely. Definitely. They're, they're both good. So how can recruiters or other folks involved in the, the succession process, how do they usually set expectations with internal candidates or is there usually just here are the logistics, this is how the, the process goes, and it's not so much an attention to kind of the, the psychological or kind of emotional aspects of an internal search? Yeah, great question. Um, you kind of say it differently along the way. A lot of times recruiters don't play a, a role unless they're being asked to play a role. They're kind of your headhunters, the ones that go off and, you know, slay a beast and bring it back for you. Uh, the, um, the, a lot of times it's a talent team. Inside your organization, your senior vice president of HR uh, is often asked to lead the the activity or whatever title they have, uh, and sometimes it's the CEO themselves that's that's there that creates the process, monitors it, gives direction, and you know, and then includes recruiters if they feel that there's a a need to have external bodies coming in so that they can be reviewed uh, and and put in position against you know where they think they might have deficiencies in the organization or in a way that the board wants the, the team to move forward differently and, and take a different attack than what they had previously in the last administration. So there's, you know, there are different roles and responsibilities and there are different methodologies to get to that end point where you have, you know, potential candidates in front of you that you're comparing and hopefully you're looking at them from an apple and apple standpoint versus an apples to orange um, so that you can uh, get a better view of, you know, is this, comparatively this person compared to this person to this person, you know, where do we get the best return for the opportunity for the organization? So there are a lot of risks that, that are associated with any succession, probably first and foremost on people's minds is we make the wrong decision and we, we get somebody who isn't as effective in the position as we'd, we'd hoped, but, but what are what are some of the risks, whether you're looking at it from the perspective of a company or from the perspective of applicants for this competing error scenario specifically, uh, the kind of the risks associated with disappointment that might come at the, the end of the process or maybe competition during the process that maybe isn't quite so healthy? Yeah, this is a huge topic. So keep me focused. Yeah, you know, let's hit it from the corporate side. Uh, the risk that the corporation has is that you put a, a person in place that appeared to have all the capabilities and all the strengths that you're looking for, and then when they get in, there's some reason for them not to be successful. Uh, so that is a huge risk that's out there. It's always a risk anytime you undergo a change. Uh, there's a different personality that's stepping in, sitting in that chair. There's a different methodology sometimes for the way they manage, how they manage, and Oftentimes, when you put a new person in, it has a ripple effect, not just from the fact that, you know, the others that may have been personally not selected, 
but it may have a ripple effect in the fact that there's a different trust level that a person brings in with a different set of team members. And so the older team may end up being on the outs because, or portions of the older team may be on the outs because they don't feel included. They don't feel that their opinion is valued. That's a really interesting point. I, I mean, it, it kind of maybe sounds a little bit more like Game of Thrones in that regard that not only are different people potentially vying for a position, but they, they might have folks who are part of their team or who are comfortable or have a good relationship with them. And in a way, it, it's a little bit potentially tribal. It's not just as between two two applicants, but behind their friends and, and supporters in the organization. Yeah, definitely. Um you see the camps, you know, you definitely see that Game of Thrones piece that, you know, this is my army and this is who I come with and and like that. And, and you hope that that's minimized through the process and that everybody's collectively on board to be a good corporate citizen as they go forward. But there always is going to be some of that. You know, I work better with Jane versus Jim. Uh, and over time, that kind of works that way. And next thing you know, Jim's out, out the door or kind of off to the side someplace in the process. So that's the risk to those individuals personally, but it also, it's a disruptive change for the organization. Uh, whenever you see the new person at the, at the top of the throne, uh, as we, as we keep using that reference, then they are, you know, all these pieces have then that time to get into, to get settled and to get in place and to reach more of a maximum output that gives the person the chance to not only lead effectively, but also lead within the style they want to. And then at some point in time, those results that they're receiving are directly related to their leading the organization and their staffing models and how well they integrated everybody else that was in the different camps back into the, into the corporate culture uh, and ready for the next position, the, the next change that may occur in the future. So sure. it's a continual process for most groups. Right. Th- that covers, I think, the lay of the land pretty well when we're talking about how different teams integrate and sort of adapt to changing leadership, whether it's at the very top of the organization or or somewhere else in the organization. I want to zoom in to get more interpersonal, I I guess is the right word, about the psychology of an internal candidate who's competing for a position that he or she really wants. Maybe on the front end, you recognize intellectually that you might not get it, uh, and that if you don't, it's not necessarily a reflection on you or your, your value as as a leader. But you're probably coming into the process with some sort of optimism bias. You're, you're not going to go out for something unless you think you have a strong shot at it or that you you think you deserve it. Then you get the decision and you didn't get the position. How does that affect you psychologically maybe in ways that you didn't anticipate at the start of the process. Maybe you thought that you'd be okay with, with not getting it, that it's, you, you miss all the shots that you don't take, but uh, it might feel differently on the, the other end after you, you don't have that reward. Yeah. Great question. You know, from a personal standpoint, it, it really it has to do a lot with the security of the individual at hand. You know, and where they felt that they were and if they felt slighted. Oftentimes, yeah, we do feel qualified for the position, but for some reason we're not selected uh, or they're not selected. You know, I think we've all experienced that, whether it's in business or personal life or even a dating scenario, you know. Um, So it tends to be their personality and their collective history has some kind of indication to some way how they're going to handle this. 
some will be good corporate citizens and just fold in, you know, tuck in the lip and, and move forward and, and look for the next spot and enjoy it. Some will look at it once they get going or they get elevated because once you put that air in place, um, once you move somebody up, there's a vacuum. And so sometimes these candidates that didn't make it to that top level slide into a different position. And then they still see what occurs and they see that, wow, I guess that really wasn't for me right now. And it's a good thing. So those are the more, you know, pragmatics, the people that are, are sitting there looking at it. But oftentimes, especially at the top level and especially at the top level for a larger organization, it's a burn. Uh, it's a real burn. And they feel like they've been discarded. And a lot of them leave. Um, you know, one of the classic examples of that is Jack Welch heading General Electric. Uh, after he selected um, his successor, you know, some of the other candidates just bailed on General Electric and they went off and have been extremely successful as CEOs at other organizations. And you're looking at it and saying, okay, well, was the right choice made or wasn't it made? You know, when you look at the the, the activity that occurred after that. So, but from that personality, they kind of just took off and just said, okay, I'm going to be elsewhere. And it was there because of the great training, because of the great opportunity uh, that they had for their own personal development. They've been a tremendous asset to the new organization they've been recruited into to help run. But it, it kind of goes down to the fact that people will respond to it differently. Um, and you can get some sabotage if the people stay on board too. Uh, I hate to tell you that, but that's probably the worst case scenario is that sometimes people stick around and make the other person look bad. And that usually occurs for a short period of time before it's discovered and, and cleaned up. But you don't like that when you're running an organization, but you, you see kind of, again, back to watching people throughout every aspect of life when there's, they're not selected that they have different reactions to it. And it's really that personality type. And I think that's probably why a lot of times when you see the organizations working, they and working with emotional quotients, um, you know, different uh, personality tests, trying to understand people better. It kind of helps them along the way to mitigate some of those issues as they move them forward. But, you know, the flair to be a, a CEO of a large organization, you have to have a strong personality and a strong belief in yourself. And when you're not selected, it's going to, it's going to show a little stronger than sure. if it's a smaller group. And if it's, you know, maybe a mom and pop shop or something like that. Sure. So, Let's take the scenario where there's a CEO search or there's a search for some other senior position, and it's all relative to, to some degree. If there's a competition for who is the new manager in a, a mid-level position, that, that can still be pretty intense for people who, who want that position. But it sounds like the risks of a bad reaction kind of fall into three buckets. One is the, I'm going to leave and find the opportunity that I want elsewhere. Uh, because I'm ambitious and I have a lot of a lot of human capital that I bring to the table. The other is the active sabotage scenario, and then I think maybe a third bucket is the I'm sticking around. I'm not sabotaging anything, but I'm I'm flagging a little bit in, in what I can contribute, and I've, I've lost a little bit of the fire in the belly that I, I once might have brought to the table. If I'm a, you know an HR team or the, the line management of a of a business, whether it's 
the overall company or, or a smaller group within a business, how can I proactively help try to mitigate those risks to avoid, for example, the high performer who doesn't get the promotion leaving in search of better better pastures elsewhere or or the sabotage scenario or the person who might flag a little bit as a contributor? Yeah, excellent question. You know, it really kind of it kind of it kind of goes back to the personality of the leader that comes in place. The person who comes in to you know at the top level, and I'll, then I'll deal with it down a little bit lower in the organization. At the top level, really kind of has to do kind of like what it, um, Lincoln did years ago. Um, they call it. it there was a book, uh, Working Man Rivals, or something along those lines. But basically, what he did is he took all of the people that were that he usurped along the way of his run for president and brought them in and made them partners in the process and a band of rivals. That was the book. Um, so as you bring them in, you kind of nurture them along, you kind of get them on the same team, you get them in re-engaged back into the process that, yeah, you didn't make that at the moment, but it's still a team effort and we're all contributing to this, to our success and, and welfare. Because most of the individuals at the top of the organization are vested in the organization with stock, and they have uh, a lot of skin in the game, whether they're in the top seat or they're not in the top seat. So there's a great motivation for them to be highly successful in contributing in a better working relationship than not a better working relationship, if that makes sense. So they're out there doing that. So it really rests upon that new leader is to get the engagement in and to work and to value opinions and to do a great job at leading uh, and getting participation from those that were, were pulled away versus shunning them and moving them on. Uh, oftentimes the ones that do the sabotage to shift into that world, they're the ones that kind of get shunned along the way. Uh, and maybe there was a definite personality difference between the successor that was, that was, that's placed versus the candidate who wasn't. And so those have to work themselves out potentially differently, but it's oftentimes they're the ones that aren't going to come in when there's the reach out and the pull in to make it a better cooperative team effort. Uh, and it'll be fairly visible along the way. Now to switch the scenario a little bit, if you're deeper in the organization, whether it's a level two, level three levels, there's still more of an opportunity for you to um, work with the individuals at potential alternatives. Like, Hey, it may not have been in time for you to be the, uh, president of this division, but what we want you to be is XYZ over here. And it gives you still that development path that you're saying, okay, I'm still getting the opportunity to expand and grow. Uh, as long as they're not feeling like they're put on the shelf someplace or being cast aside to a know-nothing position. Again, it's all around how do you treat them, where are you placing them, and do they still see that there's an opportunity for them to grow and expand within the organization or to continue their own personal development so be, they become more attractive over time if a position in a different organization, a different company comes available that they may then you know move off to, to do that. So a lot of times the candidates who don't make it uh, at the lower levels, you know, as they're moving up, we'll see it still as an opportunity for career growth and development as they are uh, continuing to mature in their business space. I, I like that. It, it sounds like the the approach that whether you're the the leadership, the the business line leadership, or you're in a talent management position, is to make sure that unsuccessful candidates from one position they they keep that 
momentum of professional development going uh, so that they can be in a position to go out for the next position or they are still keeping that fire in their belly for the the day-to-day until until that opportunity comes. And maybe that opportunity is elsewhere, but in any case, you're at least keeping them for the time that you've got them and you're getting that benefit of of an active contributor in the the workplace. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Is there any kind of competing concern there that I as a leader, I need to be empathetic. I need to exercise that emotional quotient. I need to be aware and cognizant of potential disappointment that, that somebody has and the retention risk that poses or the uh, organizational risk that poses if we, we don't keep somebody in the fold and, and engaged. Is there any conflict between needing to do that work, but also at the same time, a sense of I've got a business to run and I need others on the team to be professional. We all have professional setbacks or disappointments, and, and that's just part of the job. How, how does either an HR leader or a business line leader kind of manage those two competing interests? Oh, that's a great question. It really relates to who is who's, who's involved in the selection process to begin with. You know, is it just the CEO or is it that senior vice president of HR or the CHRO or whatever the title is? You know, if they're involved, if CHRO is involved, then there's a greater opportunity for that coaching and counseling to work with a new CEO to say, got it, congratulations, but we need to do some reach outs here. What are you willing to do? So there's some opportunity for that conversation to occur in that capacity, you know, as long as there's a good trust factor between the CHRO and the new the new place person we're making the assumption in the statement that it is. So as they coach counsel with them, you know, it's an opportunity for them to reach out. And then also for that same CHRO senior vice president to work with those who didn't make it. Okay. And hopefully have done a little, uh, you know, uh, softening the beachhead before the announcement was made or right after, you know, so that it goes down through, through the process and uh, along the way. So there is, there is going to be some handholding, but you're right. At some point in time, it's like, we've got to be here now. Uh, and we got to be producing. Part of it is going to be the personality of that CEO. Uh, some are going to be more compassionate and, like you say, have the emotional quotient to deal a little better with those those people for a period of time. Uh, others are just going to be the bull in the china shop. It's my ship. It's good. You know, I had an organization we worked with years ago. Love them dearly. Uh, we did specifically a succession plan for them. They had the CEO in. The CEO was the sponsor for the succession activity. The head of his HR group, you know, he wanted one sheet of paper on everybody each year. They talked about each person each year. They probably had like 250 names in their in their pool because they not were not only looking for the C-suite positions, but also directors and vice presidents and all this other stuff. So they really processed through. They did 360s. They did a lot of things to to get data to the point where it was needed. Well, that CEO decided to step down. He steps down, and because of their successionary efforts, they place a new CEO. Great person, continues on with the path that was that they were charting on, gets great results. Two years later, after taking the position, dissolves the succession plan process within their organization. And a couple of years later, they're being highlighted in a Harvard Business Review from a growth potential standpoint in their industry. And he talked about the CEO that was the outcome of that succession plan, talked about how it was a succession plan, that process that they had, and they did it well. 
but the irony for me was, well, but you stopped that process. Uh, it was kind of funny. So again, it goes back to the personality of the person doing it and what are they going to do for the next step? As part of a succession plan, do you think that integrated in that should be some plan for what to do after the search is complete? For example, these are the outreach expectations that we have, or this is the process that should be done afterward to keep unsuccessful applicants still kind of in that pool of, you know, 200 names or so that you mentioned that we're, we're sort of actively developing and, and thinking about for, for new opportunities. Yeah, it really needs to be a continual process. I, it, you know, to the event may have been just to select a CEO or a president or whatever you're looking for, but the reality of it is the most successful organization we've organizations we've seen have had the the process in place that continues to grow and develop. And yeah, you're going to lose people. You know, we had a CEO once years ago say, "Hey, I'm going to train everybody who comes to my organization and get them their MBA." And somebody once said to him, "said Well, half the people you train and pay for an MBA leave." And he turned around and said, "Yeah, but half stay." You know, no, um, at some point in time, you have to look. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> deal, but 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 at a point in time, you have to look at, you know. Is this just for the one moment, or is this for the strength of our organization as a whole? And the good programs that we've seen are the ones that are continual. You know, you go through the the instances where you place somebody, and you're going to get some fall off. It's part of life, you know. Some people pass before their time. You know, there's there are accidents, there are health issues. You know, you sometimes have to fill that vacuum rather quickly. Uh, along the way and you know where you get participation from uh, and where you you have the ability to continue that process it's great I remember years ago I had a uh, executive vice president call me one day and said Chris I need somebody who speaks Italian because we ran a system for him that included all the successionary pieces and but it was very heavy heavily concentrated on the employee and the manager putting in information around the person such as the wants of the person so you know it's an aspiration model so you know somebody who speaks Italian worked with company XYZ willing to relocate immediately and you know there were four or five other criteria that you know they were a certain position you know, they had this type of um, performance reviews. So a lot of the pieces that you'd see in a normal successionary concept there. And I said, you know, you can search for this on your own. He said, yeah, but I'm not at my machine. So we did it for him. I said, here are six candidates. Within two weeks, he placed a new director in Italy for somebody that was out there. And all of a sudden, everybody wanted to be filling out their personal profile of what their huh. career aspirations were. Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and nobody in that case, nobody was hurt. I mean, they had to do it because of a of a, a personal crisis for the the incumbent, but it allowed for business continuity to occur because they had data at their fingertips, because they had been thinking long term for it out there. So hopefully that answers part of your questions there. It, it does, and I, I think that's a good seg into to one question that I had, which is: we're always interested in the role that data can play in, in mitigating HR risk. What are some of the metrics related to? competing internal applicants that HR teams can or should be collecting and, and how can those metrics be used to help shape decisions to avoid some of the risks that we've been talking about? Yeah, you know, that's, those are great. That's a great question because there's a lot of different data elements that you could pull in on somebody and, and it does vary by, by organization and culture. Some of the ones that we've seen that have been most successful are, you know, of course, how well do they perform? You know, are they achieving results when you, when they come into a new location, 
Are they able to, you know, work within the business model? Are they able to work within the culture? Uh, oftentimes, you know, especially if you recruit somebody into a higher position, they come from a different corporate world that had a different culture, you know, and did they fit in yours? So you have to really look at that in the, in the aspect of, you know, from that data standpoint, how well are they, you know, scoring in their, you know, assuming that you're doing an organizational assessment or an engagement survey, are they view, being viewed as being part of the team, part of the culture? Are they viewed as, you know, coming forward and doing um, the results, they, getting the results that they need and providing strategic direction? Uh, and, and again, that depends upon where you sit in the organization and what you're looking for. Higher you sit, the more strategic value you need to provide to the grouping. But as you start to look at those types of assessments, as you look at the performance values, you know, sometimes it's even, you know, what's happening with the stock price, unfortunately, because it's quarterly. But, you know, as you start to weigh in these factors, you then you, you bring back in, okay, let's look at some 360 types of components. Let's look at personal stories where people are coming in. So all these data elements can really help you in understanding, is this person a good fit, not only from the business standpoint, but from that cultural fit, from that personality fit. And we're seeing all this a lot in the Me Too movements out there right now. Is there any skeletons in their closet that shouldn't be there, you know, that are going to, that are going to cause problems down the line. So all these data elements, all these pieces in there, all these components that you can, you know, look at, measure, or understand. And I'm not being very specific, and I'm doing that just for a reason, because there are so many, uh, and they're there. But once you start pulling in what's important to you guys, and that's a cultural fit from an organization standpoint, those are the things you really need to be looking at as you start to evaluate your leaders long-term. Because if you can't evaluate your leadership from what you're collecting, then you should probably change what you're collecting. I, I think you you really hit on on one thread that that I'll just pull out a little bit more with with the reverence to to me two issues that sort of pop up i i suspect that it's the case that as people are moving up the ladder their their qualities and their skills maybe they scale up but it it could also be the case that potential issues for that person uh, also scale up with them and so that's that's probably a risk that companies should be thinking whether it's past complaints about somebody or any of the sort of weaknesses or deficiencies that that might pop out definitely deserve some extra scrutiny because if you look and say oh well this person has increased performance of this division by 20% in the last 5 years imagine if we scale that up to this larger division or to the whole company that's that's a fair analysis perhaps but uh, you should also look at the deficiencies and think okay well if we scaled those up to the entire division or to the entire company what would that look like for us yeah that's very true you know we always look at it and say ultimately you know when you're moving people around you know are they skilled do they have the capabilities to do what you need them to do in the position you need them to be in two can they get the results and three do they play well in the sandbox because we've seen the people that are capable highly efficient at getting results but then suck the life out of the room when they're in there or other issues that are that are that are there that people have historically buried but you can't get away with that anymore so you really need to make sure that you have that full spectrum of understanding on the individual as you move them forward otherwise you will exponentially cause issues for yourself right chris if our listeners want to continue the conversation or learn a little bit more about uh, what you do at fidelo how can they reach you or, or get that information Excellent. Yeah, I'm more than happy for them to just, you know, check our website out, which is www.fidelo.com. 
That's F-I-D-E-L-L-O. Okay. Dot I'll, com. I'll put a link to that in the, the show notes as well. Yeah. Or, you know, reach out to me by LinkedIn. That's fine too. Okay, great. Our guest today has been Chris Euling. Chris, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the HRS podcast. This episode is presented by ECDES.com, the software that helps prevent workplace harassment and spot untapped talent. You can find show notes for today's episode at ECDES.com slash podcast. That's E-K-D-E-S-K dot com slash podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next episode, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.